0: Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 246 of the podcast for March 17th, 2016. Today's episode is my second this week in recognition of Patient Safety Awareness Week. And my guest is Steve Montag. He's a returning guest. We talked about lean and crew resource management. Back in episode 195, just over two years ago, uh, he's done a lot of things. He'll introduce himself. He's a fellow Texan and a near neighbor of mine in the DFW area. Today, we're talking about a number of topics, including patient safety and checklists. What's the difference between, if you will, good checklist systems and bad? And what are the parallels to lean done well and lean done badly? We'll talk about a number of articles in recent events, including how uh, an article, it said NHS employees in England are afraid to speak up and report errors. An Iowa hospital had four wrong site surgeries in 40 days. And we'll talk about the recent brouhaha about lean, Toyota, and Taylorism in the New England Journal of Medicine. And you'll also hear me ask some incredibly long and poorly formed questions, but such is life sometimes in the podcast. I hope you enjoy the discussion, of Steve has a lot to offer, and I hope you uh, enjoy it. Um, To learn more and to see links to all these articles, you can go to leanblog.org slash 246. Steve, it's great to talk to you again. Thanks for coming back and joining us again on the podcast.
1: I'm really excited to be here, Mark.
0: So, you know, I do want to invite listeners, um, you know, they may want to click pause and go back to episode 195 or just listen to that um, some other time uh, back in 2014, we talked about lean and crew resource management, and and Steve is you know very uh, you know uniquely positioned to be able to talk about um, lean and patient safety and healthcare and lessons from the aviation space. But for people who didn't listen to the last episode, can you give you know kind of the uh, the briefer than it deserves uh, synopsis of your background and career for us?
1: Yeah, the. Uh the the thirty second synopsis I guess uh, I'm a um, retired Navy fighter pilot um, and when I left active duty I, I went to work for American Airlines so I continue to fly um, as a uh, international pilot for American Airlines and then um, about 13 years ago I was uh, asked to start uh, working with some hospitals on helping them to incorporate uh, and a- adapt um, Best practices from high reliability organizations uh, into their standard of care, and uh, it's, it's really become quite a calling for me. And, and it's what gets me up in the morning, gets me out of bed in the morning, is uh, is trying to figure out ways to help great people do even better work.
0: Yeah, and you know as we've talked about before, you know that's one of the parallels: the recognition that systems and processes and culture matter um that these problems that we see are not the fault of bad apples and you know it's great that you know that you're coming and working with these good apples and uh, you know helping them do better work not just uh this week but but every week and you know what when i say this week you know part of the reason we are doing the podcast here is to talk about the annual uh, patient safety awareness week that's promoted by the National Patient Safety Foundation and and other organizations. So, you know, on, on this topic of, of awareness, Steve, I was wondering if you, if you could sort of, you know, share some of your thoughts about why or, or what the level of awareness is both for healthcare organizations about the need to improve patient safety and awareness in the general public.
1: You know, I, I think that they are both on the rise. Um, I, I uh, you know, when I started working with hospitals 13 years ago, um, I, we we often sort of felt like a voice crying in the wilderness, and uh, clearly that has all changed. Um, uh, you know, when I begin to talk about the work that I've done, uh, you know, people have a knowing look in their eyes and they recognize, ah, okay, yep, safety systems, I get it. Um, and, and so I, I think there is a greater reception, uh, in healthcare. There is, uh, growing, uh, concern, uh, and that's driven partly by, by, uh, CMS. They are, are slowly, uh, over the years, they've been raising the bar on what are acceptable outcomes and what are unacceptable outcomes. And so, um, it's, it's both, I guess, a bit of a, a financial prodding, uh, but also, um, you know it, everybody in, in healthcare wants to do the right thing i think mm-hmm. it's just greater awareness of boy we we sometimes get it wrong and that is many times preventable so um i i don't generally get as much resistance as i used to get and then when it comes to the general public um you know so i'm working with some folks in indiana and uh next week i'll be up there uh, doing some workshops uh up and down the state and one of the topics that we're talking about is sepsis and the uh, surviving sepsis campaign and such and um, the my point of contact at the Indiana Hospital Association told me that uh, during halftime of the Bears and Packers game, there was a uh, a one minute commercial about sepsis and about mm-hmm. how it's you know um, it's a it's a big deal and it um, it's a, you know, patient safety topic. And so I, I think they are both on the rise. And, um, you know, so the, I'm not sure that there is a public outcry for it yet. I don't mm-hmm. think it's gotten to that point of awareness. But um, th- I think it is it is rising.
0: Yeah, and, you know, it, it's still, even with that awareness, um, there's, there's still a lot of work to be done. Um, you know, if you look at the data, and this data is always kind of you know fuzzy and hard to know for sure how many patients are harmed or how many people die every year uh, it seems like there, there's consensus though that um, the the problem is still a big one and I think that kind of points to the need um, you know to, to make this a focus and you know front of mind discussion every single week of the year um, is, is that part of you know kind of talk a little bit about the work you're doing with operating rooms and executives how, how much of the solution is just Making sure that that people give uh, daily priority to, to safety instead of just talking about it occasionally.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that the um, you know building it into into work practices. I mean, exactly like we do with with, with standard work. You know, um, it, it makes it easier to to do the right thing um, to practice safely um, just because that's how we always do it and and so I don't have to light a candle and say okay now I'm going to be safe for the patient you you build the safety into the work processes and we do that by working with them and, and building standard work um, how do we start a case how do we start the shift how do I uh, properly relieve uh, you know, the cRNA uh, so that uh, she can go and, and get a bite to eat. Um, if, it's, if it's built in and it's just part of the care processes, then, then we don't have to um, you know stop and stop what we're doing, stop providing care for patients and be safe. Um, and so safety done well, is transparent but not invisible. Mm-hmm. You can point to specific behaviors as to how they hand off the patient, how they brief the case um, and say that that right there is is a safety statement that statement right there is intended to open lines of communication and ensure that we are cross checking our you know one another 's behaviors um, and so I can see that it 's happening, but nobody's nobody is saying okay now it 's time to be safe so mm-hmm. it's it 's just there it 's in the and it's it's running uh, like an antivirus, um, you know, does on a, on a computer.
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's always there, and I mean, I think you know the phrase safety culture, as opposed to thinking of safety as a program. I think that I think you know I think that's important language. Even back in in manufacturing, uh, when when I used to work there, you know, the the best performing companies in terms of employee safety didn't depend on a safety department. It was just built into the way uh, everyone did things and it was a priority and and it was clear that you didn't cut corners on safety. Bad manufacturers, uh, and I've seen some of this too, they do cut corners on safety because they make, you know, uh, the daily production quota the priority and and they tolerate people doing things in an unsafe way. So, you know, this isn't just a healthcare problem and not just uh, you know, formerly a problem or you know, formerly a worse problem in aviation. Some of this, you know, it's, uh, it's just it's interesting human nature of you know. On one level, nobody would ever really truly want people to get hurt, but it seems like people make excuses in different industries of uh, either why these things are bound to happen or they blame individuals. Um, curious, your thoughts on that?
1: Well, yeah, yeah um, I, I agree with you. Nobody. Nobody gets up that morning and says, "I'm going to be unsafe today." Um, and, and what's interesting is um, is that um, you you almost have to sell uh, safety. And and what I mean by that, for example, is uh, we're struggling with a hospital where we're working, and um, the surgeons are uh, are not interested in in doing a more structured timeout that includes them providing a briefing on the case. Um, here's what we're doing. Uh, here's why we're doing it. Uh, I expect it to last this long. This is my expected outcome. Uh, if this happens, you know, a couple of contingencies and those types of things, um, and they're resisting it. And And fundamentally, I understand why. I mean, I don't think I'm an unsafe pilot um and yet i know i'm an unsafe pilot which is to say on any particular day um i may do something unintentionally or unaware of it um and, and it's unsafe and so i don't you know i'm certain that that every surgeon in that organization believes that they are safe and they are mm-hmm. uh and yet um a a safety culture as you say Begins with the notion that on any given day I can be part of an of a team that that begins to uh, practice unsafely, and so uh, what what we can do though is going right to your point of production pressure and and financial uh, incentives and and such uh, financial pressure is is. Um, There, there is also in 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 being more organized. You know, um, I don't have to tell you. Lean practices not only provide a higher quality product, but they generally speaking become more efficient as well, just because it's a continuous iteration of of what is best. What is the best way to do this? And so, similarly, um, what we what we do quite often is is point out that. The that surgical briefing uh, starting the case. Yes, it's a thirty. It's a investment of thirty seconds of time. The return on that investment is you know at least thirty seconds and probably minutes, uh, several minutes of reduced intraoperative time. Simply because our team is working in a more coordinated fashion. Mm-hmm. And so if if you tell if you tell a surgeon you can spend less time doing your cases. That's something they do believe yeah my cases take too long and it's because of the system and frustrations and and so uh, they they do that does resonate with them and so um, you can provide that as an initial incentive and then when you follow up and show that oh by the way uh, you know your your uh, post-op infections are down your uh, length of stay is down your post-op medication uh, orders compliance is up, you know, and and we are raising the standard of care simply because we're willing to invest that time to coordinate our efforts. And so, um, yeah, safety isn't sexy. <laughs> it's it just isn't. Yeah.
0: But you know, back, back to you know the surgeons and you know and the the general topic of quote unquote resistance to change. I mean, you, you would hate to think there's probably not a resistance to safety or a resistance to good outcomes. But what I hear you saying is that there's either, you know, some some, some sense of denial or saying, like, well, I haven't made these mistakes in the past, so I'm not going to make it right now. I don't need these checklists. Um, or there's maybe a little bit of just the, or you know, maybe people think, well, yeah, yeah, the you know, a mistake might happen, but what can you do? It's human error. And, you know, what I heard you saying was, you know, within a safety culture, we're all capable of error, and we recognize that. That reminds me of, of lean and the, the Toyota notion of respect for people, re- respects the fact that we're human and we're fallible. Um, it's just, it's, it's hard to kind of, how, how, do you, how do you try to find a point of alignment with the physician? I guess you, you stated one of them is, you know, investing this time saves you time. But even without that, how, how, how do you try to make the case just around, safety and outcomes alone because again i, I think there's alignment there in, in terms of what they want to happen right
1: well fortunately um uh, which wasn't true when when um even 10 years ago we really didn't have very good evidence that uh, it was it was moving forward on face validity and and comparison between uh, accident rates before and after and that kind of thing but at this point i I really don't have to uh, worry about, that. there's so much really, really good, solid evidence um, that that these pr- practices improve patient outcomes, um, that any anybody uh, that is willing to take the time to look at the evidence, they really don't have a, a credible argument anymore. Yeah. Um, but I, I think you're exactly right when it comes to the resistance of, wait a minute, I, I'm very safe without these things. Um, why do I need to do these things and i, I 'm not unsafe and uh, I was talking to uh, marjorie Stiegler who 's a uh, an anesthesiologist uh, up uh, at uh, University of North Carolina. I worked with her many years ago at um, at ucla in there she was helping uh, with the simulation program there and a lot of we had a lot of resonance between the work she was doing and the work I was doing and I was talking to her about this very issue, and I said, "Okay, clearly part of it is an outcome bias, um, and she, you know, uh, which is to say that um, the patient emerged from the hospital without any injury or harm. So therefore, what I was doing was safe." And and she made a really good comparison, you know, um, to to drunk driving, and how many times has a drunk driver, um, you know, when somebody gets pulled over, DWI or in an accident or something how many times before that had they driven mm-hmm. drunk and yet they got home safely and everything was fine. Um, and so it, it, it very is much, it, it's very much human nature to, yeah. to, uh, to point to that and say, I don't need, I don't need to change anything.
0: Well, there's the, uh, yeah. So, you know, the driving while drunk, you know, I think would be an example of an unsafe practice that doesn't always lead to harm. Uh, Alcoa, I've blogged about this. You know, Alcoa has always taught um, you know what they call the safety pyramid of sort of this hierarchy of you have unsafe practices, and then at a, a smaller ratio you have you know near misses, and then you have at a smaller ratio incidents that cause harm, and then there's you know kind of the tip of the pyramid that one and a mm. large number of occurrences that actually causes death. And what they're teaching. Which I think you know is similar to the patient safety movement. You, you need to act on not just the near misses, but the unsafe practices, and, and kind of keep in mind past performance doesn't guarantee future results. I guess when it comes to unsafe practices, right?
1: Yeah, and and you know it, that's really that's really important. I think um, I mean it, on the one hand, it's sort of pathetic that we have a patient safety awareness week. Um, you know why why is mm-hmm. why isn't this week? Patient Safety Awareness Week or, or next week, why isn't that Patient Safety Awareness Week? What what have you? Um and, and so I think that you you go back to uh recognizing um well, first of all, stating stating very clearly in in job descriptions and performance expectations that you will engage in specific very, very clearly uh, outlined uh, and defined safety practices. And so you build it into job descriptions, into evaluations, uh, credentialing, bonuses, hire and fire decisions, uh, performance reviews, what have you. And um, if, if you focus on safe practices, then you stay out of the bottom of that pyramid altogether. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Intramountain has done that for years. And, you know, um, I mean, there's... Uh, I can't remember what year it was but they were they they were within I don't know I think it was two decimal points of the stated performance um goal and they came up short and nobody in the system got their bonus mm-hmm. and I, wow that's that's a real commitment to expectations and uh, I think when you build it into expectations and then have the accountability there mm-hmm. uh, in, in all those different ways I think that Makes it just a part of the safe practices. Um, certainly, I'm evaluated that way. <laughs> you know, mm. frankly, every time I fly, I'm, I'm evaluated by my peers, and they'll call me on it if if I am mm. doing something that's unsafe. They'll they'll call me on it. That that right now peer to peer accountability is critical. Um, but then I'm also evaluated at least every nine months, sometimes more frequently, by um, by FAA. Um, Uh, evaluators uh, or or designated uh, evaluators. And and so those safe practices are just built into the job expectations. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to be able to continue to practice if I'm not using them.
0: So let's compare that to um, back to the healthcare realm. There was a news story I shared with you from England, you know, that said 5% of hospital mistakes, only 5% Ever get reported? Um, staff are, it said, "quote too scared to blow the whistle for fear of repercussions." And that and that kind of strikes a contrast to what you were describing in aviation um, of you know, a culture where, where people are expected, encouraged to speak up versus people who feel intimidated uh, or scared, or they think it's just not going to lead to anything. Um, what What are some of your thoughts on on you know that that fear culture how how can you take steps to actually try to change that in healthcare where people do speak up for the right reasons
1: i i think um you know that that really uh, goes to just culture um but even even that it goes back one step further of an expectation uh so when i begin a, a trip um you know i i tell my crew um Look, if at any time you see something doesn't look right, I expect you to speak up. You know, I am fallible. I want you to challenge me. And and so I create that expectation that they will challenge me and and that I will challenge them. And we continuously say that to each other um, because we know that we've got to do that because there is a reluctance to challenge one another. Mm
0: and and even and to speak up, even if that means that delay is the on time departure, which is such an important metric, and bonuses are tied to that i'm sure yes right,
1: yes, absolutely and so um but then this is a this is a higher level of of being willing to speak up and i but I do think that uh sort of doing is becoming and and so if if i am if I am on a consistent basis telling people that I expect them to speak up and they're telling me they expect me to speak up, then I think it becomes easier within the organization to um, to speak up. Now that requires a lot of trust, and what you're seeing here in, in that article is that there is uh, distrust of the system, and you know commercial aviation is not immune to that that uh, wariness or that mm-hmm. fear. Um, there was, uh, golly, I, I, I should remember what year it was, but several years ago, the the Just Culture system that operates in commercial aviation uh... had been shut down essentially by most of the major airlines in the u.s and there was a brief period of less than a week when when the just culture uh... agreements uh... were were suspended and um, and it, it came down to one thing and it was a uh... A desire by some of the airline management teams to want to use the self-disclosure information uh... punitively hmm and and boy if you want to i mean and that's what you're seeing here is is if i speak up i'm going to be punished for speaking mm-hmm. up whereas in my profession here in the us um i'm actually i'm rewarded mm-hmm. um for speaking up for self reporting my errors and and that's that's just critical
0: yeah. or I mean, there, there might be the fear if, if I'm a, a nurse in the operating room and I and I speak up and I don't want that surgeon to be treated in a punitive way. If they were about to make an honest mistake and I caught it, you know, there, there might be that fear as well, because we see people getting blamed and punished and sometimes prosecuted and jailed for yeah. making what it seems like were just honest mistakes.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 it's it, it's it's just built into us. Um I I guess because we um we we feel like well the only way to to make sure something doesn't ha- happen is to punish the individual and um you know I, I, I don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there shouldn't be accountability, but but uh, you know I had a commanding officer many years ago who who would say you know Monty, when you when you point your finger at somebody else you're pointing three back at yourself, mm-hmm. and I, I kind of use that as a good rule of thumb uh, for every everything I want to blame on the individual I think there's probably three institutional things that we uh, should take accountability for how is this person hired in um, you know if this person is is acting you know you talked earlier about unsafe acts what, what's our hiring process mm mm-hmm. That we got this person in. What are our what are our daily practices? Are they unique in these unsafe practices, or is this pretty much how things get done around here? Yeah. Um, well, it's so on and so forth. It's it's a really fascinating deal. But I, I think that um, moving away from the punitive aspect yeah. and going more to a you know um, sort of a five why. So, okay, well why why yeah. did this happen? And and really being yeah. humble and, and honest with yeah. ourselves as an institution about um, about how we aided and abetted or, or set this system up that allowed this, uh, this person to make this error or, or, um, what have you.
0: Yeah. Well, and there's, uh, you can even play five whys if, if it's true, if leadership says, well, you know, some, uh, we've got some bad apples to your point, who hired those bad apples? Why are we not better screening out the bad apples? <laughs> you could ask, those questions, even though I you know that that would be, I think, an application of root cause analysis pointed in the wrong direction, perhaps.
1: Um, yeah, well, yeah. And what are what are our, our radar are, are to identify this person and remediate the behaviors and reach out to them and, and, you know, try and keep this employee? And I mean, um, I, I I really think there are very, very few bad apples. Yeah. Uh, I, I think there's a lot that goes to, uh, you know, to reaching out to them and, and figuring out what's going on, solving yeah. the problem and not firing the person.
0: Yeah. And and I would encourage listeners who, who don't know about the just culture methodology, just do a Google search for that. And and it's, you know, it's a, it kind of gives a bit of an algorithm and some mindsets uh, to help determine if something was a systemic error, or if it was the type of situation where personal accountability um, would, would be most responsible or would be most appropriate but um, I want to delve into one other headline and, and story and I'll, I'll link to this on the blog post for the episode two uh, a health system in Iowa had reported four wrong site surgeries within a 40-day period and uh, you know there were two things that jumped out at me in the comments one was the hospital spokesperson who I assume is still employed there um, they said well you know but there were no serious consequence reached uh, that reached the patient relatively speaking and you know this included you know people who were cut into on the wrong side of their body um, but then you know the health system said you know basically that well you know the mishaps were due to the improper execution of timeouts and you know I was wondering if, if you could I guess there's a couple different questions combined there. But, you know, can you talk about, you know, proper versus improper execution of timeouts? And if it's improper, if it's happening improperly, whose responsibility is that, the physicians or or their leaders? Um, what, what, what do you think?
1: Oh, boy. Um you know, there's there's a, a lot to that. The first thing that I, when I read that, I thought, you know, there's the old uh, line about minor surgery is something that somebody else has. Uh, and, and, and so this, you no know, serious consequences reach the patient, relatively speaking. Well, yeah, relatively as in if, if you're not the, the patient, then you can make that remark, but, I, you know, the patient yeah. clearly feels mean, that they, way. They,
0: they didn't die as a result, but still, yeah. let's not go patting ourselves on the back. <laughs>
1: yeah. And so who's, who's responsible for a good timeout? Um, you know, everyone, and, uh, but the, the, we want to avoid the, the myth of social redundancy. You know, the old saw about how do you, how do you starve a horse? You ask two people to feed it. And so um so who is most responsible well i i, I mean um who is most responsible in my world uh, it's the captain and the person who has the highest level of authority or licensure or uh title or power they are the person that is most responsible and so yes the um you know the the the, the surgeon and the anesthesiologist are the two persons with the highest level of licensure and so they are have the highest uh, responsibility uh, for it. However, um, you know, clearly they're, 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 the, the hospital leadership has got to be involved too. It, 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 four wrong site surgeries in 40 days, and um, if you recall, Mark, they, they, were, they, they had a, um, uh, there was one surgical team that was undergoing disciplinary procedures uh, and you, you kind of have to laugh. Seriously, you had four wrong surgeries in 40 days, and you think it's a team's fault? Mm-hmm. You think that you don't think this is you've got serious problems with your systems? Um, and I guarantee that that um, if you had watched their, the timeouts prior to those events, you would have seen um, a compulsory, uh, you know, compliance um, that was that was. Um, Well, we we met the standard, which is somebody used the word timeout, and there was some sort Mm -hmm. of a one person, typically the circulator, because they are the ones, generally speaking, who are held actually held accountable uh, for the timeout. And so while they don't have any power, or at least they don't have sufficient power, um, they are held to a higher level of accountability. And so typically you will see them basically just call out to the room um, and say, okay, everybody, here's our timeout. This is Mrs. Jones, and this is what we're going to do. And uh, the surgical techs continue to prepare their instruments, and the surgeon is talking to um, whomever about something else. There is no engagement as a team. I, I was absolutely blown away. I was down in Houston uh, last week. And observing teams down there, and they did the finest timeouts I've ever seen. Uh, everybody stopped, turned. Um, it really was uh, interdisciplinary. They were uh, everybody was talking about their role. Um, the anesthesia team anesthesiologist said, "Okay, this is the antibiotics that were given at this time, and uh, the person has no allergies." And then uh, the surgeon discussed, "I don't anticipate any." Blood loss, or if there's a possibility that we have it typed and screened, so on and so forth. That was truly interactive, and it's what it's what the timeout was always meant to be: is yeah. let's create an effective team, and that's that's what we help organizations do. Um, these folks had had gone a long way to doing that uh, on their own, and, it, and that's not easy. Um, mm-hmm. But it, I really, really admire the work that they've done.
0: Yeah. Well, and you know, when you talk about you know uh, timeouts that are being done in the most uh, you know cursory way to say okay yeah we checked that box if if that's happening that seems like one of those unsafe practices that isn't necessarily immediately going to lead to harm but it's one of those unsafe practices that in my mind leaders have a responsibility for detecting you know who is there is the equivalent of the FAA observing you as a highly skilled professional pilot you know, who who is there observing these highly skilled professional surgeons and their teams to say, wait a minute, here's an unsafe behavior, we have a responsibility to do something in advance instead of just reacting after harm occurs, right?
1: Yeah, you know, and this is one of the places where, so yes, absolutely, and this is actually a place that's quite promising, um, is, is as simulation becomes more and more routine, and it really doesn't have to be high fidelity simulation. Um, you can you can um, use some very low fidelity simulators that um, that still invoke and still require the, the team dynamics, and, and you can evaluate. You know, I can I can walk into a, a an operating theater, and we're talking in surgery, so that I can walk into a ICU and watch team rounding or uh, so many different venues. But the point is is that I can tell if somebody's faking it. Uh, because they're just not comfortable with it. It's it's not. It's clearly not what they always do. And people are kind of looking, and they're confused and such. So, yeah, you you can see what you can tell what's going on. What do people really do in day in and day out practice? And so I think that uh, the more we use simulation and uh, we have you know peer to peer evaluations. Uh, you know, um, uh, Dr. Atul Gawande talks about. Um, how it occurred to him that, you know, the world's greatest golfers and tennis players and so on and so forth all get coaching every week. And he said, well, may- maybe I could use some coaching. And and that's that's what I think is the future is is uh, more peer-to-peer coaching and uh, evaluation and assessment. And the simulator is a great place to do that. So I, I think they're- that we're coming along. Uh, we've come a long way, and we've got a long way to go. And, you know, frankly, I can say that about aviation, too. We're I I like the fact that high reliability organizations are are no longer the way that uh, researchers discuss it. They discuss high reliability organizing Mm. because it it describes a journey rather than a destination. And and I think that you know, uh, I would, I mean, I do believe that I know commercial aviation is is very very safe. And yet we have we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go.
0: Well, so and as a final topic, um, let's talk again about I think there's clear parallels between checklists and lean. You talk about this being a journey we're we're guilty of using that phrase a lot um, in in the lean community saying, well lean is a journey um, we have we've talked about you know uh, just to oversimplify it uh, bag checklist implementation, good checklist implementation. Um, we have really effective lean. Um, instances out there and then we have organizations that do some really uh, you know almost embarrassing things and you know there's studies that will show Like I just pull up here on checklists one headline says simple checklists save lives in the operating room study finds and there's a different study from the same time frame that says surgical checklists may not be effective at improving safety study finds and you know there, there are lots of studies about lean being effective there are people who write journal articles uh, about lean not being effective, so it's it's kind of puzzling. Like you know, where is the truth here, or is it really possible to have simultaneous existence of effectiveness and and ineffectiveness? Um, we were also going to talk about, I think, along these lines. You know, an article I blogged about from the New England Journal of Medicine, uh, Pamela Hartsband and Jerome Groupman, a couple of doctors from. Uh, Harvard-affiliated institutions were were decrying lean and efficiency experts and saying that this is you know uh, not appropriate for healthcare and they, and they weren't even trying to point to data it was really more of, a, of an editorial so kind of in my long-winded I don't know if this is even ends up being a question <laughs> I was curious for one you know your thoughts on you know the, these conflicting studies or you know, simultaneous existence of bad and good examples. Um, and then, you know, that, that New England Journal of Medicine article, um, maybe, you know, first off the, the good and the bad simultaneously. How, how is that?
1: Well, um, so I, first of all, I think they are very closely, uh, related, uh, both of the, 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 um, articles the, or issues. Um, the, you know, the, uh, I mean, I really respect Dr. Groupman and I, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I do too. Yeah. When, when I when I read through that article, there was one line in there that I thought actually reflected uh, really what their point was, and that is, you know, good medical care takes time, and there is no one best way to treat many disorders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and it's okay, I get that, um, but um, you know, what they're really decrying is cookbook medicine, and and. That's not what I think anybody's advocating for, but even in internal medicine and, mm-hmm. and uh, Dr. Hartspan, you know clearly there are there's a lot of complexity in some of those diagnoses, but but there there are also some some uh, common elements that all doctors uh, share, and that is they are humans, mm-hmm. and therefore they are um, they are sub in fact Dr. Groupman talks about this in how doctors think they are subject to Human error, human uh, cognitive errors, and so uh, you know a diagnostic pause is a protocol um, to avoid type one diagnostic errors, and, and so it is a it is a standard way for us to have a a to to, uh, to bias out the things that we know are wrong with with, with some of the way that our our brain works, mm-hmm. and so uh, there is a protocol, um, you know, a standard work that we can put into place to make sure that we are, we are using our, our higher-order thinking to, to avoid these types of errors. And so um, it, when you read the rest of the article, it's clear that, and, and this really blows my mind about these two, that they have absolutely no idea what lean is. Um, I, I
0: don't think they were even exposed to lean done badly. I mean, just, uh, it just seems like they're just pontificating.
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're very frustrated and I get it. I, I would be too. But... Oh,
0: and they, they have valid complaints, but I think they're kind of yeah. pointing at the wrong cause of those things that are frustrating to them and other doctors.
1: Uh, agreed. And so, yes, there is lean. Yeah. I love it when I go somewhere and, and you know, I'm, I'm, I am not qualified to, to really do lean like you do. Uh, but I love it when I hear somebody say, yeah, we did lean mm-hmm. and I'm saying, well then no, you didn't. Uh, exactly. and, yeah. and, and, and so it's the same kind of thing, you know. Uh, there's there are checklists done well and checklists done poorly. And uh, Peter Pronovost at uh, Hopkins and mm-hmm. uh, there's some researchers in Sweden, all of whom have said, "Look, putting checklists into place without really, really grounding them well in a in a system is actually, arguably, uh, in, in increasing exposing patients to greater risk." And and so, look. Um, you know, I mean, 5S or spaghetti diagrams or any of that, those are tools. And, and very similarly, a checklist is a tool. Um, but let, let, let's consider, you know, okay, let's take it out of context and, and look at a, a carpenter's tool belt. Okay, it's a standard set of tools. But the carpenter must be trained on how to use it, right? And the same is true with standard work. Uh, you know, uh, the, the carpenter has to integrate with other trades. And so, um, you know, a, a checklist uh, it has, it will not work on its own. It's got to be embedded in, in teamwork behaviors and just culture algorithm and, and a management system uh, that supports it. Uh, the, the carpenter uh, follows a structural blueprint, you know, well, uh, Gemba walks, metrics, publishing success, uh, you know, um, visual management boards, all of these are are you know the milieu the structural blueprint within which the the carpenter you know functions um and you know and and then there is a the builder who's overseeing the carpenter and that and that's really you know the lean management team and such and so and then the last piece is that and this goes back to we did lean is the house still needs maintenance after it's been built and so um you know checklists are the same thing they've got to be uh first of all Either designed or modified by by the end users. Uh, respect for people. They have to be. Um, they should be uh, routinely maintained. They should be updated to reflect the you know uh, latest evidence base. They uh, need to be. Um, everybody needs to be trained on how to use them properly. And and we use you know uh, TWI principles to do that. Um, and so I I think that that. First of all, I I, I think the biggest takeaway is that whether it's a a checklist um, or a or standard work or Lean tools or any of that, they've got to be embedded in a in a system. Um, And for the checklist, it's got to be a system of of, uh, of the willingness and the and the knowledge of how to challenge one another and to say, wait a minute, no, we're going to use the checklist. You know, the ones that have shown failure um the 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 way that they uh evaluated were people using the checklist was self-reported completion and yet the studies that have gone and looked at it have found anywhere between well study right down at the uh, University of Texas in only 2.3 okay so reported compliance with using a checklist uh, a 13 item checklist timeout checklist the reported compliance was 100% and yet, when they went and they did observations, and only two point three percent of the cases were more than seven of the items completed of a thirteen point checklist. And so, when you go and look at the studies of look, it didn't change the you know morbidity mortality. Uh, well, you, really, you're talking about self-reporting, and that's how you're assessing. So there was no training. There was it was like how to how to implement a checklist wrong and. You know, I, I think that, that Dr. Pronovost and, and the folks out in Sweden are, are correct that it is increasing the risk to simply say, here's a checklist, use it, uh, probably increases the risk to the patient.
0: And, you know, I mean, you bring up a lot of points that remind me of, you know, the way Toyota people today describe lean. Um, you know, I've shared this framework in earlier editions of, of, of my book and on the blog, the idea that Lean, it, a production system, it's not just the technical tools where you could say, okay, well, hey, send me uh, your checklist. Okay, that checklist is the tool. But then there's also the underlying philosophies. Oh. There's the, the managerial approach. How do we make sure the checklist is actually being used in the right spirit? How do we update it? How do we improve it over time? I mean, it seems like whether it's with checklists or with Lean, there, there's enough body of evidence out there about what needs to be done, but we, we still hear, you know, horror stories, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, the, the clunky 5S initiative where, you know, employees are told you can't have a family photo on your desk and you can't put a cardigan on the back of your chair. Like, I don't know what that has to do with right. you know, the results or the goals of the company. I, I, I had somebody send me a twi- <laughs> tweet earlier today um, in a healthcare setting, um, I won't say where because this is you know, an accusation that I can't confirm, but it seems believable that they're complaining that because of "quote unquote" lean, managers are timing how long staff smile when they're greeting patients. That the smile has to be seven seconds long, and and that that if if that happened, and gosh, I can believe that it may have happened somewhere. I'd say, but that that's not lean. That's somebody misapplying a tool called standard work, but they don't understand the purpose of it or the philosophy of it. And if it's if it's making people that upset, wait a minute, timeout, um, different type of timeout. Yeah, something's wrong here, right?
1: Well, yeah, and and then you understand, you begin to understand why uh, folks like you know Dr. Groupin, uh get upset, and and mm-hmm. and they're right. If it's if it's as you described, lame, um, then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it it really hurts folks like you and and the folks that uh, you know um, are really trying to be diligent and serious about it uh, mm-hmm. about using uh, lean to improve care. Uh, it makes it hard for you to well, do it.
0: Well, yeah, but you know, I, I mean, ultimately, I don't. I, it it doesn't hurt me as much as I think that it hurts the organizations and the patients that deserve better. They deserve real lean. Uh, otherwise, like you said, doing doing lame or fake lean or whatever term you use um causes maybe more problems than if they had done nothing and you know so in the spirit of patient safety awareness week that's really what what drives me and gets me up in the morning it's not about quote-unquote implementing lean it's about improving patient safety and i i appreciate that, that that you share that passion as well
1: i do mark and and i, I also um uh it It's also about um uh, you know you imagine the frustration of the nurse at the bedside the, the the doc who's saying why are we why are you timing why are you walking around and timing me and so mm-hmm. on and so forth uh and so uh it, they all go together uh you cool. talk about alcoa and they all they all tie together mm-hmm. so
0: and and i I've, I've read complaints about uh residents were complaining that they were being followed around by engineering interns who were timing how long they were in the bathroom, and I'm like, oh come on, that's <laughs> That's that's the stuff that gives us all um, that give that gives lean and improvement um, a bad name. So on. Well, hmm. let's end on a positive note. Can you tell me uh, as we wrap up here, um, you know, a kind of a positive patient safety improvement story so we can end on uh, a little bit better note?
1: You know, um, the. I, I I get um, every once in a while we we have you know we we see an article published and and uh, you know it, it's it's we we saved you know uh, Ohio State just published a really nice article talking about how much they've invested in implementing the CRM and and I got to work with them and then how much it saved them uh, and, and really those savings are in patient outcomes too mm-hmm. you know so that's huge and, and wonderful but. I, uh, I there was a hospital system, um, in Ohio that I hadn't spoken with for several years, and I was afraid that it was going to be though, you know, yeah, we we did lean kind of places where they it was a, a flash in the pan and it went away. And I, I heard from, um, their chief learning officer, and she she called and she said, Oh, yeah, we, we do this all the time, and it is such a successful program. And we have, you know, we've, we've caught so many, um, you know, mistakes and, and possible, you know, accidents and, and untoward outcomes simply because we, we implemented this, this one word. And, and that they, they chose the word cardinal, and I don't know why, but it was a way to call the team's attention to hey, wait a minute, this is a safety issue. And they could use that word, and it was, it was psych- psychologically safe for them. To say that and for people to stop and listen to them and and so hearing that you know they had prevented a couple of OR fires and potentially you know these these wrong surgeries and stuff um, that's boy that 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 makes your day and so yeah uh, it's sometimes we don't know about about how far things are rippling and and how they're doing
0: yeah well and and, you know for for all the things that are frustrating um, it's good to see the positive and the progress that's being made Um, even if there's still a lot of progress uh, still to be made, uh, I appreciate that you're helping so many people in that process. So, uh, Steve, thank you for being a guest here on the podcast. We'll we'll have to do this again. There's so much we could talk about, and it's always uh, a pleasure uh, to chat with you and hear your perspectives.
1: Mark, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, Looking forward to the next time.